Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. So on April 20th of 1992, I would have been uh, about four years out of high school, just one year out of college. 1992, for some of you kids, that feels like a really long time ago, back in the 1900s. But for most of us, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. April 20th, 1992, 72,000 people were gathered in Wembley Stadium in London for not a soccer game, but a David Bowie concert. That might sound familiar to some of you, David Bowie. He was a rock and roll star who had several hits late 1960s through the 80s. Um, and he was having a huge concert there. And it was a concert, a tribute concert, for Freddie Mercury. Now, Freddie Mercury, that name may not be familiar to all of you, but he was the lead singer of the rock band Queen. And we know... You might know Queen, younger people, have the, the, um, the song, We Are the Champions. We are the champions. That song? So Queen was the, the, was the group that, that wrote that song. So Freddie Mercury was the lead singer, and he had died the year before from AIDS. And this was during the um, explosion of AIDS in our world and really in our consciousness. And so David Bowie had decided to do this huge concert in tribute of him, but also to raise awareness of the AIDS epidemic. So in the middle of the concert, something that had never happened before in any of his concerts, and I don't know if in any other concert happened, he began talking about his friend, Freddie Mercury, and also another friend that um, was just dropping into a coma that day from AIDS. And he stopped his concert and he knelt on the stage and said, I feel like it's appropriate in this moment to say the Lord's Prayer. And he knelt on stage and recited the Lord's Prayer in front of 72,000 people. And it was silent. Well, he got quite the press about this. David Bowie was not known to be a religious person, and he definitely didn't pray in his rock concerts. And um, so he had many interviews. And this is what he said in one of his interviews. I decided to do it about five minutes before I went on stage. Coco, who was his long-term personal assistant, and I had a friend called Craig who was dying of AIDS, and he was just dropping into a coma that day. And just before I went on stage, something told me to say the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is in England, uh, where there's not a separation between church and state like um, where we are, but it's definitely not common for people to quote a prayer. Uh, A writer said, in rock music, especially in the performance arena, there's no room for prayer. Actually, this is David Bowie himself that said this. But I think that so many of the songs people write are prayers. A lot of my songs seem to be prayers for unity within myself. One um, comment, you can see this on YouTube if you Google David Bowie, the Lord's Prayer. There's different comments about this. 
Uh, one person said, this really was one of the bravest moments in rock and roll history. David praying in front of 72,000 people. Another person said, even if you don't believe in God, you have to admit that was touching. It was giving so many people a feeling of comfort and hope. It unified everyone there. Well, David Bowie had his own reasons for saying the Lord's Prayer with all kinds of comments. And today our sermon is about why we as the church choose to say the Lord's Prayer as part of our worship. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today. We, we quoted it earlier in our service, and we do here at First Covenant every week. And I want to look briefly at the passages where we have the Lord's Prayer recorded in Scripture and just talk a little bit about that. So it shows up twice in the Gospels, one in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. So I've put the Scripture for Luke 11 on our slides. And we'll read that together. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, some of you might recognize that, hmm, the Lord's Prayer that we say isn't completely recorded right here in this scripture, and that's true. Now, some manuscripts do include the extra phrases that we say but recent scholarship and discoveries of the most oldest manuscripts don't have those extra phrases included. And I just want to say a few things, especially for our kids, about the words that are included in here. Now, we, the version that we say in church, has words that are kind of funny, like art and thy and thee. And these aren't words that we normally use in our normal conversation. Art is just an old-fashioned way in the King James Version of saying are. And um, different words like trespasses or debts are often used rather than sins. Our denomination chooses to use sins, that we forgive, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But debts is also a word that is used, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, people that owe us something, Lord, we owe you. And hallowed is a word that means holy or set apart. Um, another word is sanctified, made perfect. So these are some words that you might not be familiar with. But with these older manuscripts that don't have the phrases, for example, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen. These are phrases that we say because some of the middle translations included this. This was added at some point along the way. Most of our translations, though, will have a little note, a little um, footnote in your Bible that lets you know that. But our responsible translators know that to be most reliable, it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. But it's also fine that we say these because our prayers need an ending. And, um, and this is a beautiful way to close the prayer. And this is just a side note that you may not have known, that Jews 
did not say amen as a close to their prayer. We say amen, but really, um, the way the Jewish people would pray is they would pray, and then if you were standing around and you heard the prayer and you agreed with the prayer, then you would say amen. So it actually would sound a little funny like, I agree with my own prayers, but it's our custom now, and that's okay. So we leave that custom alone. But we can see how prayer has um, evolved over time. Now, the other place that the Lord's Prayer appears in Scripture is in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, as part of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, if you look in your Bibles, if you have a red-letter Bible, almost all of chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 are red letters because it's the teaching of Jesus. And so in this accounting, this is part of Jesus' ongoing teaching. We don't have the question that the disciples asked. So it's a little different, and more than likely, they both happened this way. I'm sure that Jesus taught on prayer on more than just one occasion. And in fact, in both of these um, passages, I've only read the Lord's Prayer, but there's teaching on prayer before and after these as well, where he goes on to explain more about what he wanted the disciples to know and those listening about prayer. Now, one of the questions that comes up when you look at these passages is, did Jesus mean that we're supposed to pray like this, like a model? Or did he mean we're supposed to actually say it word for word? And maybe you've wondered yourself. Well, it's interesting because the answer is yes to both. And that's something that the original languages, when you look at these two different passages, one of them, the Matthew 6 passage, the word um, in Greek is actually something that says, pray in this manner. So um, going to give them like a, a form, a template for prayer, of things you might include in your prayer. And so it would be like, we are too to pray like this. And so yes, this prayer gives us a form for us to use. But in the Luke account, the word is literally translated, the actual Greek word is recite, repeat say this exact thing. And so we see that the Lord's Prayer is not just a guiding principle, but it's also a model prayer that we can use, um, and likely Jesus too prayed himself. Now, I have a word that might be new for some of you, and kids, you might write this on your sheet. Liturgy, L-I-T-U-R-G-Y, liturgy. The word liturgy basically means a form which public religious worship follows. And usually it's, ref it's referring to Christian worship, liturgy. Now, you might have someone say, yeah, I didn't grow up in a liturgical church, meaning that the church was kind of maybe more informal, didn't follow a certain way of doing things. Our church is kind of in between. I mean, some Sundays we sing Bible camp songs on videos. And some Sundays we have Chris leading worship, and sometimes we have different people, but it's not the same every week. But there are some things that we do each week, and the Lord's Prayer is one of the liturgies that we follow, the forms that we include in our worship. Now, some of you might be a little wary of liturgical prayers, meaning prayers that are written and then that are read. Um, in the Catholic tradition and the Orthodox tradition, many of their services follow a very specific word-for-word -word liturgy. Prayers are prayed, calls to worship, they're recited and repeated week after week. And 
some people feel like, want to be wary of that feeling. Like I know I grew up feeling like, well, you know, those prayers aren't really real prayers if they didn't come from your own heart. But I would say that we see in Scripture that Jesus says there is a place for form prayers. And he knew himself the, uh, the, the concern about heartless repetition. Um, and I just want to read a quote from a book called The Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight. He says this, Jesus was surely aware of these problems regarding maybe mindless repetition when he gave this prayer to his disciples. From experience in his Jewish world, where liturgical prayers had a long history, Jesus knows that his prayer will provide a framework for prayer for the new covenant. There are some hooks on which his disciples can hang their own praises and requests, their own complaints and queries. The Lord provides us with a structured, how we can have a structured conversation with God. And he knows that this will remind his followers of his priorities. Now there are other places where we use forms in our gathering. And we don't usually get too concerned that we repeat them over and over again. Um, one place that we do this is in schools. I know that the, the Pledge of Allegiance is still said over and over each day within the schools, often. And even in your classroom, maybe your math class, maybe your teacher has what's called a mad minute, where you go in and on the board is a math problem or a math quiz. And every day you go in there and it's there every single day. And you know when you go into math class, that's the first thing you're going to do. Or maybe your teacher has a question, a journal question. And you know that each day you're going to go in, you're going to get your journals, you're going to sit down, you're going to answer the question to help get your mind and your thoughts thinking about English, right? So these are forms that we repeat. Um, sporting events are another thing. So I went to the University of Oklahoma, and they have quite the athletic program. I actually grew up in, uh, went to lived in Norman, Oklahoma, where the university is, until I was nine. And so my dad went to OU, and we went to OU football games, and there's a couple songs that I learned as a little girl that I would sing when I'd go to OU football games. I was sooner born and sooner bred, and when I die, I'll be sooner dead. Rocklahoma, 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 okay you. We sing it at every football game, right? And when I went back this last year, we got to go to a football game with our boys. We went to OU game, and we sing the university song. We raise our hands up in the air, and we start singing the band plays, and we sing our school song. And no joke, I got a little teary. Like, why do I do that? You know, I mean, it's just the university. But with that, there's so many memories that come with fun and games and where I met my husband and the way God worked in my life. See, that song is more than just the song, but it brings back a memory of what's happened in my life. And this, too, can be a part when we say the Lord's Prayer together, that we are being connected not just with this moment and our needs now, but with generations of saints who have prayed this same prayer, the disciples themselves being taught to pray this. So we join in unity with saints who have gone before, with saints now, believers who are around the world, and saying the same prayer in another language, it unites us as believers through time and across the world now. It's a unifying factor. Even in the business world, there's a website called Successful Meetings. 
for those of you in business and want to help guide your business to be profitable and to be productive, a suggestion is that every meeting that the, the organization would review their mission statement and their values at the beginning of every meeting to help keep the organization on track. And it says this, failure to align a company meeting or incentive event with a company's values is not just a missed opportunity, it's much worse. It sends message that the leadership can't walk the talk and it suggests that the values they proclaim as important really aren't that important after all. Before ever discussing a venue or agenda, start with the review of the company mission statement and the company's core values. Use these as a litmus test for every speaker season and especially every social or team building activity. See, the Lord's Prayer does just that for the church. It helps us to center our heart and our minds on the values of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom of, of heaven, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, the prayer is as simple that even a child, a young child, can memorize it. Admittedly, when we come together in church, there's elements of our service that our kids just go right over their head. They're not completely able to understand or participate in. And they may not be able to read along with the text completely or pay attention during the entire sermon or sing the words to all the hymns. But they will learn through imitation and repetition. And by including certain forms like this on a weekly basis, our children do pick up in no time and are able to participate in these areas of worship even if they don't fully grasp them. Now, we lived in Chicago for one school year. Um, my son Nathan was five. He was a kindergartner. And we went there for one school year so that Curtis could finish seminary. We moved the whole family. We had been living in Saldotna. And the apartment we lived in, in Chicago, was right near the campus of North Park Seminary. And we were right across the street from North Park Covenant Church. And this church was definitely a liturgical church. It was high church. There was this huge organ with the pipes along the wall. And there was always organ booming and playing. And it was very high church. And we sang hymns. There was no Bible camp video type songs. It was hymns from the organ. And I learned a whole different way, a whole different model. I wasn't used to that high church. But it was right across the street. We had three little kids. So it was super easy for church for a year. So we'd get out. We'd walk across the street and go to North Park Covenant Church. We're really blessed there. Well, one thing that that church does every Sunday is says the, Lord, says the Lord's Prayer. And it wasn't something that we in our church in Saldotna did. I don't know if I ever remember us saying the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't part of our regular liturgy. Well, one week we were in church and my son Nathan was actually sitting with a friend. So he was actually sitting behind us in the pew. And when it came time for the Lord's Prayer, I remember Nathan it had clicked. We had been in church long enough. He had heard it enough while we were there that he had memorized the Lord's Prayer. And so there was old Nathan, five-year-old Nathan, not just saying the Lord's Prayer, but saying it loudly to make sure everyone around him knew that he knew the Lord's Prayer. And I got pretty chuckled, you know, tickled and listening to him. I didn't want to make him feel, you know, whatever. But I remember it. And I was like, wow, he learned that really fast in being with us in that church for that short time. So it is. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's one of the things about, we look at scripture as the way the Lord Jesus told stories. He did have our children in mind. And so that's another reason why we choose to say the Lord's Prayer. 
Now, I want to read again from this book. I learned in studying the Lord's Prayer that the Jewish people, when they heard Jesus give this prayer, recognized some of it. Because they had a prayer that had been said throughout their history um, called the Kaddish or Kaddish. And it was a short prayer that had really similar words. And let me read it to you, the English version of it. It said this. Magnified and sanctified be his great name in the world. He created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel speedily and in the near future. And say amen. So this is a prayer, one of the, probably the second prayer that uh, Hebrew children learned as part of their Jewish liturgy. The first was the Shema. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So they would have recognized some elements of this prayer. But Jesus has amended the prayer. This prayer that they said over and over again has now been amended. And what we see in the things that he's added helps us to see the values and heart of Jesus. Now, if you remember, he also added to the Shema. There was a time when uh, a young man came to him and said, what's the most important commandment? And he began to recite the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he amended it. And do you remember what he added? He added a scripture from Leviticus and love your neighbor as yourself. So we see that Jesus took this form they knew that was really focused on the Lord God and added not only was Jesus' heart for loving the Lord God, but that part of that was an outworking of loving our neighbors as well. And so we see also in this amendment some values that we have in Jesus, in Jesus' ministry. I just want to briefly comment on these. The first one, the first thing we can learn in God, Jesus' values and priorities is that we learn when we pray to address and to approach God as Abba, another word, Abba, which is a word for like daddy. It's not just father. Like most of us don't call our dads father, right? We say dad or daddy or papa. It's this endearing term. And all of Jesus' prayers, except for the one that he prayed when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, started with, no, I'm sorry, when he was on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's the one time that he doesn't, he doesn't, um, it's, not, it's Lord rather than Father. So we approach God as Abba, Daddy. And we see that this distinctive feature of the Lord's Prayer, its emphasis takes us to be confident and eye to eye with the love of our Father, our Abba, our Daddy. To love God means in prayer to call him Abba. This is a signature term of Jesus and it marks the center of his teaching about God. It's personal and it's loving. We also see that 
what God really wants us to learn. If we love someone, we love what they love. And God's love plan is for his glorious name to be honored and for that to then become concrete in the earth. Earth is Abba's frontier. He is still working it through. Heaven is already his. And in pondering God's name, his kingdom, and his will, we are prompted daily to yearn for what God yearns for. Our love for him prompts this yearning. We also see that we are to think of others. The most um, conspicuous amendment to the Kaddish is the petitions for others. Jesus didn't leave the Shema or the Kaddish to be only about God and our worship of God. He doesn't want it to be an I-only thing either. It's not, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, but it sees us as a part of something bigger, ourselves and our brothers and sisters, us. If we learn to hang our prayers on this framework, we will learn to pray for others. We do this not just to observe a routine, but because this is what happens when love for others morphs into our prayers. And we also see, we learn what other, everyone needs. When we hang our prayers on this framework, we yearn to have his will and provision granted for us, but also forgiveness and to be spared temptation. So what do these mean? We need to think our way back into Jesus's world by recalling that we have just asked Abba, our father, to break into history with his kingdom and his will. And our concern, like I said, is for all of us. We pray for others that they will have adequate provisions, but also spiritual life and moral stability. I know when I pray for people, I tend to think of all the things that come to my mind right away and the needs they have, and that's completely okay. But also what I don't completely know is what the Lord has and wants for them. And when we pray this prayer over the prayers that we pray for people, we submit our own ideas for the Lord's. And by using this prayer, we join in his loving prayer for others. I asked Curtis last night, I can't remember exactly when it was, but sometime within the last maybe eight, five to eight years, um, the Lord began working on Curtis and I and our heart around the Lord's Prayer. It seems like he heard a message or had read something about incorporating the Lord's Prayer into his own personal prayer life. And that wasn't something that he had done on a regular basis, and he shared it with me. And so we began adding the Lord's Prayer into our own personal prayer life as a couple. Now, most days, it doesn't work out every single day, but most days, Curtis and I, um, before we leave the house, will pray together. Um, often, it's right when we wake up, and we'll pray for the needs that we know people have. We'll pray for our day. We'll uh, pray for each other. We'll pray for, you know, text pr prayer messages we got the night before. Um, we do this most mornings. And we have added the Lord's Prayer as the way we conclude our prayer today together every day. And I would say that as a personal um, worship rhythm and discipline and um, 
uh, practice. Um, it has really been a significant um, addition into my prayer life. It's not the only way I pray, and most of the time I'm praying um, different prayers. And yes, I do often will use form prayers or just prayers of my heart or songs. Um, but doing this daily has been, a, and usually in the morning, has done an amazing thing to help set my perspective on what the Lord values and what he wants. And when I pray, Lord, forgive me as I forgive other, those who sin against me, usually there's something within the day that's happened where I have felt either wronged or maybe missed or, um, you know, it's easy to have microaggressions ruin your day. And yet to start the day with that type of a prayer has given um, a lot of um, peace and, um, and growth, I would say, for me. So I would encourage you, even as we say it corporately together in our prayer time, that you might consider adding it to your personal prayer life. Um, there was this time when um, Curtis had spoken to the Young Adult Retreat, and um, it was right around the time of the, the day of prayer that we have um, for life um, uh, in September for the conference. And he encouraged all of our students to set their alarm at noon for the next week. And when the alarm went off, to say the Lord's Prayer um, with in mind the, um, the epidemic of suicide in our midst and to use that as a reminder to pray for the Lord's will and for his kingdom to come. So that's a little bit about why we say the Lord's Prayer and why I would encourage you as well to pray, incorporate it into your family time, into your prayer life, and to let the Lord transform you um, into loving him more deeply and also loving others around you. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the way you teach us your ways. You show us your heart, not only for the love and worship of our Father God, but, Lord, also for the love of others. And in this prayer, you help us. You help us to shape our prayers, and you give us um, a way to shape our own heart and values to be aligned with yours. God, I pray that as we pray this each week, Lord, that it would not just be a, a rote um, um, prayer that we pray, but God, that you would be transforming our heart and you would be causing us to really long for the things that we pray for. Lord, that your name would be re revered, God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done right here in our families and in our community and in our church and in our neighborhoods as it is in heaven, Lord. God, that you would provide for us and also those around us. And we know many around us have need. And God, that we would also see how we can be a part of that provision. Lord, that we would be forgiving and forgiven through the amazing grace that you have poured out on us. That, Lord, we would be spared from temptation and that, Lord, you would lead us in paths of righteousness, protecting us from the evil one, Lord. And God, that we would live with our minds um, on, your, on your goodness and on your power. In Jesus' name, amen.